right, hello everyone, and welcome to episode seven by the numbers. As usual, I am joined by Alex McNabb. How are you, Alex? I'm good. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm excited for this episode. As am I, because as everybody knows, I'm a uh, a driving enthusiast. <laughs> and in fact, you have a little quote for us to begin the show. I do, I do. I, I have a quote from a, a from a postmodernist, a French postmodernist, postmodernist. I figure that's the best way to start the show is like a quote from some sort of ultra leftist French anarchist magazine from like the 1990s. <clears throat> the quote goes like this. What is the perfect apparatus, the model apparatus that would eliminate all misunderstandings with regard to the very notion of apparatus? The perfect apparatus, it seems to me, is the highway. In it, maximum circulation coincides with maximum control. Nothing moves that isn't both incontestably free and strictly classified, identified, individuated, and exhaustive files of digitized registrations. A network endowed with its own fueling stations, its own police, its autonomous, neutral, empty, and abstract spaces. The highway system perfectly represents the territory, as if laid out in bands over the land. A heterotopia, the cybernetic heterotopia. Everything has been carefully parameterized so that nothing happens ever. The undifferentiated daily flow is punctuated only by the statistical foreseen and foreseeable series of accidents about which they keep us all the better informed as we never see them with our own eyes. Accidents, which are not experienced as events, as deaths, but as a passing disruption whose every trace is erased within the hour. In any case, they die a lot less on state highways than on interstates, as the DOT reminds us. And it is hardly as if the flattened animals, noticed only in the slight swerve they induce in passing cars, remind us what it means to live where others pass. That was my, I hadn't heard the quote before the show. That was fantastic. That, that is a great mood setter, Alex. Because well, we can thank the French postmodernists for that. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that our entire thrust of our programming here is about French postmodernism. <laughs> I never thought I would thank a postmodernist, but there we go. That was fantastic. And weirdly, we don't have Borsley on the show to discuss this. Oh man! Well, I, I don't think I'd get a word in edgewise. You two would be, you two would be going so rapidly on postmodernism. I, I'd, I'd be left behind. I'm a bit of a philosophy naysayer, as some people. Yeah, it would, it would be it would be a high speed rail for French postmodernism. It'd be great. <laughs> that is, <laughs> yeah, alternative transit in the in the guise of French postmodernism. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, so we're going to talk about the history of the automobile, uh, you, predominantly in the United States. Yes. Yeah, so and what, Al- what happened? With the rise of the car and all of that. Yep. Alex and I have teed this up for a few episodes. I know I've mentioned it a couple times that we're going to start sort of tackling the weird shibboleths that hold up the odd architecture architecture of uh, modern American life and how you know what just to say from the outset what what I really want everyone to take home from the episode and and Alex is actually the one who came up with the idea is that. Don't assume the way we live is normal or natural or sort of a, a a coherent evolution. We got here through a very weird series of events that Alex did a lot of research into. Yeah, don't take for granted the world as you see it because it's it it isn't really normal and it didn't get here organically through some sort of process of technological evolution. That's not really what happened here. Um, so to start with, with the car. When the car came on the scene in the United States, you got to understand that the streets back then were not as they were now. The street was sort of like a public commons, and it had all sorts of different traffic on it. You would have streetcars and horses and buggies and people, and most importantly, you had children playing the street. And interestingly enough, whenever the car was first becoming apparent in the American population, caused enormous amounts of fatalities, particularly among children. It was killing kids left and right. And funny thing, too, is they they discussed car accidents as car turns turtle. (laughs) That was the word for it, or the phrase. 
Um, and one of I've the never things, heard that one. Yeah, car turns turtle was like the the headline on a bunch of these old news articles. This this was before you had stop signs and lane markings and traffic what lights a, and all of that. But but just to get ahead of what a way to make that sound very non-threatening instead of <laughs> instead of automobile strikes child or motorist kills children it's car turned turtle <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah because i mean here's a decent little quote from the article i'm reading from the detroit news uh in the first decade of 20th century there are no stop signs warning signs traffic lights traffic cops driver's education lane lines street lighting brake lights driver's licenses or posted speed limits our current method of making a left turn was not known and drinking and driving was not considered a serious crime. Uh, there was little <laughs> understanding of speed, a driver training bulletin called sportsmanlike driving. I like the name of that had to explain velocity and centrifugal force and why drivers took corners at high speed. Their cars skidded or sometimes turned turtle. There's that phrase again, turned turtle. <laughs> but anyway, so this became kind of a problem for the burgeoning automotive industry. Uh, the, the streets, which is where they wanted to, they wanted more people driving cars, right? They need to drive on streets. Well, the streets are full of children. So they started to run propaganda campaigns to get people out of the street. Stop playing in the street. We want to drive cars there. So you can see from the outset, the car is essentially like a foreign invader into a public space. And this is a thing I want to get into people's heads. When you look at a street or a road, it was not built for, for a car a lot of the time, especially in rural areas. That was not originally designed for a car. That was originally a place where you would have either a rail system or you would have horse traffic, horse and buggy traffic, that kind of thing. And pedestrian traffic, people would walk on that, that, uh, that road. And there are no other alternatives. Like if you look at where I live, there's only three major routes through this part of the country. You've got basically three ways to get somewhere. And guess what? There's cars on all three of them. So when you see people and you're like, oh, there's a person in the road, because they don't have another option. Where the fuck are they supposed to go? It's the only way to get around. That's why you have laws that treat this as a public space, because that's what it is. It's a public space. But of course, the automotive industry wanted to well, you know, take the public commons and use it to sell cars. So they engaged in propaganda campaigns, get people out of the street. And then they began to run into the issue of the streetcars. And we'll get into this. The streetcars were very popular as public transportation, the electric streetcars, trolleys, things like that. And they were relatively smooth. They had right of way, so they were pretty fast. And in fact, as public transportation, they were they were smooth enough the passengers would get together on their way to work and play games of bridge and things like that. They would actually have sort of a, a communal structure that none of us could even possibly relate to. I mean, imagine playing games of cards with other passengers on your way to work. I mean, I, I doubt anybody listening to this has ever done such a thing. I mean, that's inconceivable to me to imagine being able to sit in a, in a space that is so travel in a space that you're so not concerned about, you know, operating the vehicle in dealing with the environment around you that you're actually able to play a card game in that space. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about like a completely different world that the car was entering into. Right. And I, and I think it's really important. And you touched on this already that people should realize that unless you're on like a huge, modern highway or you're on a like very sort of post 1970s suburban street it is a very high likelihood the street that you you are on people use that street until sort of the 1950s Mm -hmm. it had it had probably existed especially if you're east of the mississippi that street had probably existed for at least a century in places like Boston or in Virginia, a lot of these streets have probably existed for 300, 350 years, and they were used by people for the vast majority of their life. Mm-hmm. They're used by everybody. And, and yeah, yet again, there's no other alternative to a lot of these streets and byways. Things that people think of as like a high-speed automotive corridor, there is no alternative. 
There is, there is no other place you can go to get from point A to point B. You have to use that particular road. And now you've got automobiles have completely annexed that space and claimed it f- just for cars, which is fucking ridiculous and intolerable. And it's insane that a civilization has allowed this to happen. Yeah, we, we destroyed, we essentially destroyed what was the largest public commons in our lives, in, in the country, basically. And I, I think even for me, as we talk about it, it's still very hard to imagine standing in a street, even in a city like, I don't know if you've ever been to York, Pennsylvania, but it has a beautiful, very well-maintained, very dense downtown, but it's a smaller city. You'd like it, Alex. It's not like it's it's not like Richmond or something. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I, I kind of like I, I like the Blacksburg downtown near where right. I live. I, I like I like downtowns that are a little bit more historic and well maintained. Yeah, exactly. It's very historic in York, Pennsylvania. And I have stood in the street, and I'm kind of visualizing standing in the street there, and thinking back about how narrow it is, and the wide sidewalks. Like this is this colonial town had to shove thousands of automobiles into it. And you're trying to make something work in an environment that it's not organically meant to exist in. And we've just done this everywhere. Yeah, well, the the other interesting historical note is that where I live, they used to have public street dances, like in the 40s and 50s before. This was probably back when it was still a railway that was the main connection to this town. But the, the street was a place where you could, actually have like a, a dance i mean imagine that yeah street party we all you know the the idea of a street party still exists but now in order to have a in order to have a street party you have to do something like apply for a permit from the city to shut down a street to like actually yeah. enjoy you're it gonna, as a, you're as a gonna shut space. down the street oh my god i remember i saw a video oh this was 20 i want to say 2019 2020 of a guy driving home from work and these people had shut down a street it was either portland or seattle they had shut down two streets two adjoining streets for some sort of public the end of some sort of public biking event so everyone got done biking and they parked their bikes in the space and there were food trucks and people were walking around it was like a community thing and this mm-hmm. dude in his big pickup truck, of course, flipped out. This is a road. Roads are for cars. I just want to go. I mean, he had a complete, a complete mental breakdown because he couldn't drive through a block of street. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. you know, this is there's this weird sort of tension between the fact that society civil society wants to manifest in the real world but it cannot because there are you know giant flying hunks of metal well the, the funniest thing to me about that this is of course the cyclist perspective kicking in here but you're sitting on your ass in an automobile that has air conditioning climate control it has entertainment systems and you're losing your shit over a very small inconvenience in your oh, day-to-day dude- routine this dude was freaking out. I mean, it was a proper like screaming, crying. I mean, he was having a complete mental break because he couldn't. He would have had to go around like an extra ten minutes to get home or something, and he was just completely flipping out. Like, uh, say you're 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 driving around a rural country road. You come up behind a cyclist going up a hill. That cyclist in front of you. It's a summer day and it's fucking hot as shit outside. He's putting out 300, 400 watts going up this climb. And you're back there losing your shit, despite the fact you're not riding a bike. You're sitting on your ass in a vehicle with air conditioning, with a radio you can listen to, uh, maybe even a passenger you could talk to. And it's like a Sunday afternoon. You're not going anywhere. Where, where are you driving to? Like, you're not going to work. Why are you losing your mind? <laughs> like, how about maybe look around you? It's a country area. Maybe look at nature for a second. Well, it's a psychological thing, right? And, and and I I wish I had thought of this and looked into this before we started, but there has to be something where people get in these very large, powerful automobiles that are designed to designed to go fast. It's something that has no equivalent in the in, in individual human experience. Like humanity devoid of automobiles looks nothing like humanity with automobiles. 
in terms of, you know, individually being able to do this. There has to be some sort of like psychological thing where it's like, I want to test the power to use the power of this machine. So there's a, I don't know how famous this study is, but there's been a study into the behavior of drivers and here's the money quote. While most drivers stayed in their lanes and left the animals undisturbed because these researchers, they would put fake animals like on the side of the road. 6% went out of their lane to run over the animals. A shocking 89% of those perpetrators were driving SUVs. That's very, that's fascinating. Now were these, do you know, were these animal or these fake animals sort of placed in the middle of a lane or were they sort of off to the side? Do you know how they they were placed in a way that if you just stay in your lane, you're not going to hit them. You had to physically change the trajectory of where you're driving in order to hit the animal. That's fascinating. I mean, we've all watched the videos of, of like psychotic people pushing cyclists when they drive by. So there, there is something with psychology of people who get large vehicles. Yes, they, they literally do drive like complete dickheads. Like it's, yeah, it is. A thing. And I know, I know by this point in 15 minutes into the show, everyone is feeling attacked, right? <laughs> <laughs> right now, everyone feels attacked. Good. Cause we're, um, we're barely getting warmed up. I don't know. If I know, this, right there. We have a lot to say. And I, uh, I'm a driving enthusiast. So I can actually attack this from a whole bunch of different angles, but yeah, the, the psychology of people in these vehicles is profoundly antisocial uh, in rural areas. For example, you know, I ride a bike a lot, so observe nature quite a bit and you'll notice patterns in animals that have been hit where clearly someone did it on purpose. Like you don't just run over a massive snapping turtle without doing it on purpose, without seeing the turtle. Cause we're talking about a huge animal. Uh, when I, I can clearly see if someone has been applying their brakes as they run over an animal, cause they will do that too. I mean, this, that this is common incredible. behavior. I mean, six, six percent of 6% of the, uh, the American adult population is, Several tens of millions of people are psychopaths. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's straight up sociopathic behavior. But I, I also think there are a lot of people, I don't even not deliberately hitting animals, but sort of in the way people drive. It's very entitled. I have a very big vehicle. I am entitled to space. And this is, this is actually what got me into you know, being interested in this topic and sort of questioning questioning the current construct of society, you know, why is everything for cars, is I remember walking across a parking lot, a huge empty Walmart parking lot, this was years ago, huge empty Walmart parking lot, and some asshole in his truck completely flipped out because I was walking between the parking spaces, and he mm-hmm. wanted a parking space. And he, he completely flipped out and it is like a 70% empty parking lot. And I remember at that time thinking, okay, so I'm not like as a human being existing on earth, I am not entitled to take up any amount of space because someone's vehicle must take up. Somebody's a huge oversized vehicle that contains one right. per person as a crew cab. Massive pickup truck probably cost eighty thousand dollars, but right. like it's it's a very uh, it is a privileged attitude, and then they they act like you're the bad person. And I'm like, but I'm I'm on a bicycle or I'm on foot. Like I'm not taking up very much space on this road, and right, I'm only it's taking their up, space. They view it as their space. Yeah, and I I pay the same tax as everybody else does on the road. Like I I'm a member of the public too. Because you'll get that from people, too. Of, yeah, you don't pay any tax. Like, bullshit. Bullshit. Because your highway system is not exclusively funded by the gas tax. Because the gas tax doesn't come anywhere close to touching no, the how gas tax is, is, is falls massively short. Especially in small, in small states that are very large. The gas tax, or states that are very large with a small population. Mm-hmm. The, gas, the gas tax falls massively short. So if you, if you're some asshole, if you're some asshole in Missouri or Wyoming, everyone is paying for that road, whether it's, or not they own a car. It's literally the other way around. It's all, everybody else is subsidizing your ability to get into your financed massive oversized well, vehicle. This, 
and drive around and terrorize wild that, That's a whole other place. matter. Government <laughs> tax between tax credits and bank financing and yeah. you know every, everything state regulation on on auto insurance rates. There was a lot of intervention to make owning automobiles the public's preferred method. Right, and we'll get into that just now on how this happens, but it's important, I think, to grasp that it was a public space that is now being subsidized so that you can completely take it over, and that's bullshit. (laughs) That is wrong. Anyway, so the history of how this happened, some people may even already know about this. I wasn't terribly familiar with it i had heard i had heard the assertion of what i know you're about to talk about with the streetcars i had heard the assertion of this before and then i had had other people tell me that it was just a myth but it's not a myth so i it's not a myth because there were convictions (laughs) oh there were convictions oh please go on i'm very curious so what it what it is called is the national city lines conspiracy and we're probably going to be short on time, so it's going to go kind of quick here. But effectively, what was happening in the early days of the automobile, this would have been like the 1930s, 40s. Um, you had Standard Oil, General Motors, and Firestone Tires got together, and they wanted to sell more cars, and they wanted to sell just more automotive technology in general. So they formed kind of a little, little conspiracy, a little consortium, and they got a a front company, a shell company that was called National City Lines. And they would go around and they would basically buy up and take over electrified rail and electric bus transit systems, you know, trolleys, things like that. And then they would destroy them and replace them with buses, <laughs> which is a really funny part, right? Everyone hates buses. I know there's an argument that, that a lot of this automotive uh, fixation was to escape city trans like public transportation because the public transportation is bad because it has has blacks or something like that the demography is bad what's really funny is if you go through this history that idea was actually an excuse that this consortium came up with post hoc and it it falls flat because the thing that they were doing they weren't getting rid of public transportation they were converting it to buses <laughs> so they were not empowering like the the individual just avoided altogether so much as they were converting it into a technology that used their their product. Right. In, anyway, in, in a, buses are sort of a very inferior, cheap product. Well, yeah, because if you if you look at I, I'll we'll have a link to the documentary on this, but the passengers complained. They complained about the quality of the experience riding on a bus because we're talking like a 1940s, 1950s bus. Nobody wants to ride a modern bus, but imagine how bad those buses were. And they smelled bad. It's really funny. There was a a piece of vintage video where a gentleman was saying, oh, no, the the exhaust is perfectly safe. Uh, There's there's no research to indicate that it's harmful or anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) And eventually, off the fumes. Yeah, some some real employee started doing some digging, investigating on his own, and he he got down to the heart of the matter that there was a literal conspiracy going on. He started circulating a document to these various municipalities, warning them that this was essentially a a scam that National City Lines was going to come to your town or city and destroy your streetcars and force you to use buses and automobiles. And this was going to be in the long run, a very expensive mistake. And the automotive industry in this consortium basically tarred and feathered him as being some sort of foreign agent or the agent of a a foreign political influence. (laughs) I mean, it it was like the equivalent of saying that he was a, a Putin shill or something. So probably called him a Soviet or something. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, that that was that was part of the 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 argument because these the, these uh, these organizations would make copes and excuses and things that are no different than what you see today. Whenever a massive corporation does something wrong, it was the same kind of kind of thing. But anyway, they successfully destroyed the original rail transit in a lot of places. 
And this kind of set the stage for what would come later. It's just remarkable to me, sort of the the post hoc justifications. You know, you and I have long had a theory that, and, and this is something I think that's worth clearing up, you know, sort of halfway through the episode. You and I have long discussed how, in the North in particular, demographic change could not have been the only factor which destroyed cities. You had to have some sort of enabling change. And I think one of those things would have been, you know, streetcars. There were there were specific neighborhoods designed for streetcars, streetcar suburbs is what they're called. And, you know, by destroying that neighborhood infrastructure, you really sort of gave people the push to say, okay, it's not worth living here. I, you know, I have to take you know, the bus might the bus takes a different route that does go through the black neighborhood. Oh dear. Like there had to be these sort of enabling changes that piled on to the demographic situation in certain cities. Yeah, yeah. And before I forget, the uh National City Lines situation, uh eventually the government did look into it and they did convict them of monopolistic practices. However, they basically got a slap on the wrist. I think with a treasurer for GM or something like that, I had to pay like a $1 fine, something like that. The American tradition of giving corporations very light fines. Yeah. Yeah. They it got a national tradition. Some of the sums were like $5,000. I mean, it wasn't much. They did get convicted. Uh, they continued, however, on, on this path. And this was the genesis of like the automotive, uh, the highway lobby. This is, this is how you ended up with interstate highway project is they, they kept, lobbying and at that time period they were one of the biggest biggest lobbying groups in existence so they pushed for this this idea of taking public money to build more highways to pave over railway infrastructure that's what happened where i live now uh, there was a, a passenger train route that came through this community and they paved it over they ripped up the tracks and they put down asphalt and this was due to intensive lobbying by Standard Oil, GM, Firestone Tires, all of these guys. That's why we have what we have today. Well, this, this is were, another... And, and this was not like an organic response to anything. It was like, oh, you know, there's a consumer demand. And we're just trying to trying to help out uh, Joe Public here and give, give them some <laughs> transportation. No, they, they destroyed your alternatives on purpose to force you to do this. Because the problem with the streetcars, streetcars are run down the middle of the street. So you can't really can't really integrate automobile traffic with that very easily, right? <laughs> You've had to get them out of the way. So the idea is put everybody on buses and sell streetcars to everybody else. And the remarkable thing to me, and this is, uh, now it was some YouTuber who said it, and I'm blanking on the, the channel title, but it's very significant, and I'm going to repeat it here. We did not build cities for the car, and this is where the car lobby kind of comes in, or just matter-of-factly comes in, rather. We demolished cities for cars. Mm -hmm. Parking lots are a very new concept. And the the highway bypass slamming through the middle of your city is a very new concept. <laughs> and like all of the stuff is very new and it's very unusual. And you can say, okay, well, not everything that's new is bad, James. You're you're sort of cherry picking. But as a matter of fact, we turned cities from these sort of engines of prosperity into these spaces that have massive amounts of un, you know, unproductive land. Parking lots don't make money. They don't contribute to the public good. They're just a space that is usually mostly empty where people get to park their giant SUV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a heat island. It's just um, we're, well, we're building heat thing. islands everywhere for because yeah. uh, we we want the temperature around our urban areas to be a little bit warmer. It's still too cold there. And we also demolished walkable neighborhoods. I, I sent Alex a picture of this. It's the famous uh, West End of Boston remodel under Eisenhower. They destroyed like a full third of bulldozed completely a full third of historic Boston. And ran huge highways through it in big streets in these horribly ugly modernist buildings. And yeah. 
and now the the surviving historic areas of Boston, the North End and uh, Back Bay East and Beacon Hill in, in these areas of Boston, they're the popular areas where everyone wants to live. But now only the very rich get to live in nice, dense, walkable neighborhoods with a restaurant and a store around the corner. Only they get to have that. Yeah. And the genesis of all of this was literally just the automotive industry. Like that's that's how yes. we got to where we were. They were responsible for it. And one of the things I want to bring up real fast is the GI Bill was like the fuel for the fire here because it enabled them to build suburbs and sell these to returning GIs. And it also allowed them to have enough money to buy cars. So yet again, government subsidy for private enterprise. It's really the story here is uh, automotive in- <clears throat> companies taking over public spaces, subsidized by the public, uh, building highways, yet again, subsidized by the public to fuel suburbs that were subsidized by the public yet again, like by government taxes and things like that. Right. We And let's a- not forget something that happened in our lifetimes. Oh, the automotive bailout. <laughs> oh yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm from Michigan, so I'm uh, I'm ever so slightly uh, more sympathetic toward that, given people's jobs. However, uh, removing my personal stake in the welfare of Michigan, the automotive bailout was a ridiculous policy decision. It was it was a ridiculous policy decision. When you look at what the automotive industry was saying, like. Back in through the 50s and 70s, I mean, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, when they were they were talking about how, you know, this uh, public transportation system of the trolleys is it's not efficient and it's a, uh, it was economically underperforming. And it's like, but you would eventually have to be bailed out by the government yourself. Like you have to literally be bailed out. Who well, are you to talk about inefficiency of a public service? Fuck you. This is this is a very common argument that trains. And inner city public transit and even, you know, even trains that go between major cities don't make money. Therefore, we can't have them. And I would like to point out that highways do not make money. In fact, the most self-destructive in in terms of wear and tear, the most self-destructive form of transit is the road. Yeah. It's retarded, especially for transporting heavy freight. This is well, yeah. a stupid way to do that. <laughs> yes, it is. And, you know, I can, again, I can hear, I can hear people screaming that I want to take their, I want to take their automobile away. And I think if that is sort of what you're getting from this point, just barely half uh, passed away, you're sort, I, I do really think you're sort of missing the point. It is not that you're viewing this as a personal freedom thing, right? Alex, we, ju- we had just talked about this before we started the show. Um, Alex actually has a pretty good critique about how cars really aren't it, at the heart of it. People don't really want personal freedom with a vehicle, do they, Alex? They, they, so the the idea in theory with a car versus something like a rail transport, right? The car has a steering wheel and you can you can take charge of piloting the car and you can change direction with it you can become the pilot, but most people don't really want to do that. They don't want to be the pilot. They want somebody else to be the pilot. The automotive industry for 40 years has been talking about automating cars and basically taking away your autonomy. And people largely like this idea. They like having lane departure systems, systems that will do the steering for them. I mean, I've, I've had some rentals. Of course, none of my cars are new enough to have this technology, but I've had some rentals where you could literally take your hands off the wheel and this thing would drive itself down the highway just fine. It would stay in this lane. uh, Last time I visited my parents, they both had vehicles that had the automatic cruise control adjustment. So the car would slow down to keep a specific distance between the other vehicle in front of it. It it really, (laughs) I didn't like it. It made me me uncomfortable. However, these things are very ubiquitous now. And I think your point is fantastic. That people don't they, they don't actually want something that they individually control in well, most circumstances. Here's the bitter irony here. Because this type of transportation technology that's subsidized heavily by the government, right? Because this has taken hold, it means that you tend to live far away from where you work. You have these long transport times, right? 
And it is fatiguing to drive long distances. And if you use that technology, you will notice, yeah, it actually, I feel better when I get to my destination because my brain doesn't have to work so hard the whole time. And that should make you ask the question of, well, how the hell do we get into this situation? <laughs> like at this point, we really should just have a rail system transporting everybody because effectively we've kind of replicated it, but in a much more inefficient fashion, it's much more dangerous. Because like like the thing with the auto-driving car, well, we've had automatically driving cars that stay in their own lane for 200 years called a, a railway. The rails yeah. <laughs> will prevent are, you from having to steer. There are people who, there are entire weird sort of online and real world advocacy groups for Elon Musk's. He has this proposed technology that it's, it's, it's essentially single lane tunnels. Mm-hmm underground that the cars self-drive in and the claim is that this, <laughs> the, the claim is that this will solve traffic and i read these these arguments i'm like wait, wait a minute <laughs> wait a minute that Trains, sounds like a subway <laughs> light rail like uh have you exa- have you examined this thought people but i i do think some of them have and i do think some of this is down to the fact that people people have become extremely used to and to some extent naturally desire that sort of atomized personal space. Yeah, like a capsule. Just put 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 them in a capsule. But yeah, so the the thing that I would the point I want to get across here is that most people do not enjoy the art of driving. They don't like right. to drive. They don't enjoy this. The people that do driving enthusiasts, do they exist? I'm one of them. They tend to drive this thing called a sports car. Sports cars are rare. You don't see very many sports cars on the market anymore. They don't account for much of automobile sales. Uh, the idea of making a vehicle fun to drive is essentially alien. It's alien to the modern automotive industry. And most people are not interested in that. They don't want to buy a car that's fun to drive. They want to drive. A, they, they want a car that will basically drive itself. They want a car that is easy to drive. They don't want to be fun to drive. Most of the people listening to this, they have no idea what it mean what it means to late apex a corner. <laughs> they don't understand that. Yeah, don't they don't know, know what, what a chicane is. <laughs> Most people are not going to the track on the weekend to a road course or an autocross. They don't understand any of that stuff. They don't know what would make. They don't. I, I don't think the general public even understands what would make a car fun to drive, like steering. No, I, I completely agree. Well, I was actually about to bring that up. There's when you look at the, the, the technology in automobiles, personal driving automobiles, it's proof enough that people don't actually like the experience of driving power steering, modern anti-lock brake systems, automatic yeah, transmissions. The, the like trend is to, is to decrease driver involvement because driving is a task. Yeah. And unless you happen to really enjoy driving, and you're in a car that's fun, it's going to be a bad time. Precisely. But people enjoy the, I, I gen, I genuinely think with the society that we've constructed, people genuinely believe that that sort of individual personal space is preferable. We were talking just before the show, we were texting back, back and forth about how ridiculous modern homes look because like 40 to 60% of the frontage of the home is these, you know, these massive garages. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I was mentioning there's, there's a house around here because with the, the suburb, right. Is this a common complaint? I think everybody must have this one is that the, you've got the short little driveway that goes straight to a garage. The garage is as big as the house and it looks terrible, right? Like visually and aesthetically, this is just fucking bad. This is a, bad looking monstrosity uh we're, we're from the country the country the garage and the shed uh, and the shed are kind of synonymous so you tend to separate that from the house because like the shed's going to be full of like chemicals and you're gonna be working on stuff in the shed lawnmower and yeah like, lawnmowers weed eaters when whatever I, when i grew <laughs> up when i when i grew up the shed is where dad the shed is where dad hung the deer before he oh yeah go like, yeah the, the shed is the shed is a space completely devoid of association with yeah you feel in the deer. home you got that bucket underneath <laughs> we had a drain i mean it was so common in my house there was just a drain 
I always remember had, that. My, my dad had this bucket. whole freaking, he did a whole chain system with pulleys. I mean, he had the whole nine yards. We had a single tree we would use because I, I grew up on a farm where we had horses. So we just use a single tree, but yeah. Yeah. That, oh, that's a, that's part of the thing that you don't want to have connected to your house, right? Like that's you want that somewhere else. You especially right, right. usually you don't want to connect it to your house. And so to, to you and I, it was funny when Alex pointed this out and I sort of had this realization that, yeah, I guess we have a slightly different perspective <laughs> given, given our bit, bit more our rural background. <laughs> we view the, yeah. we, view, we view the shed as a task space, not as a, as a dirty it's, task space. It's like, right. why the hell would you want that connected to your house, man? That's kind of trashy. <laughs> as the suburban dweller who owns a, who owns a home with a three car garage that 60% of the frontage of his house, that is like, that is contributing to the atomized existence, right? I get into, I, my vehicle is within my house. Mm-hmm. I get into the vehicle within the house. I leave the house, go to work move very quickly from the vehicle into work. Sometimes work might even have a parking garage. Work might have a dedicated parking lot for only the people you work with. Then you leave, you get back in your car and you pull back, literally enter your home in your car mm-hmm. and you have in your interaction with the outside world. It has been completely yeah. minimized. Yeah. And to, to tie this back to like the thing that I open with that outside space that you enter into with your car is just an inconvenience to you. It represents a block of time that you are wasting. So you drive to work, you could be passing through a beautiful rural area, whatever the case may be. And you're not engaging with that at all. You're not even, conscious of it you're just conscious of the strip of pavement that you're on and you're looking straight ahead yeah you're trying not to die while operating the <laughs> thing <laughs> yeah so the outside if you, world if you hit is something effectively... with a bike you're not going to die if you hit something right. with a car there there's a very real chance right right well bike is a completely different experience because then you've got the weather to take into account like the temperature the obviously precipitation (laughs) and you're going slow enough that you can actually look around a little bit it's completely different especially if it's just a leisurely bike ride right you can right right now if you're out there taking in the space if you're doing hammer fest you may have a little bit tunnel vision but (laughs) (laughs) we can't all ride like alex mcnab okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> some, or if you're some, if you're a pedestrian, if you're just walking somewhere, I mean, then you've got all the time in the world to truly be out in the environment, in the space, as a part of it, as opposed to just seeing it as an obstacle. It's something that's in your way. Just how you think about things when you're a driver, you think of it in terms of like a block of time. It takes me to get from point A to point B. God, I hope there's no traffic or accidents. You don't think of it as being the world. You just think of it as being a, a fucking thing that's in your way. Yeah, the road. Yeah. The the road is also this weird tunnel where the that the world interrupts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly how we kind of open the show is talking about that. Yeah, exactly. And and I have pointed out to Alex before that, and I actually have a study in front of me from Syracuse University, their Maxwell School of uh, Citizenship and Public Affairs. America, through suburbanization and what we've done with the road network, has the fewest what are called third places Mm -hmm. of any developed country. Yes, and they've been destroyed. Yes. So, number one, we destroyed them, right? We knocked them down for parking lots and for wider roads and yada, yada. But then number two, when you build a suburban development, suburban developments do not have corner stores. They do not have a local bar. They don't have a grocery store. They don't have restaurants. They don't have anything like that. It is just where the roads are dominated by cars, right? You can't let your child play in the street with the other children. So if there is an outdoor space, it's your backyard, which is an incredibly private space. Right. Well, yeah, this is one of the things. The automobile problem didn't bother me as badly despite, you know, being inconvenienced whenever I'm running emergency traffic as a medic, that was always a pain in the ass dealing with people on the road or, uh, being a cyclist and having to deal with assholes or being a performance car enthusiast, also being pissed off by slow traffic, that kind of thing. 
that didn't really get me as bad as whenever I had kids and I realized, oh my God, like the road is fucking dangerous for children because yeah. children, kids, like if you got, especially if you've got sons, they want to go run straight out in the street. They want to, it's, it's like a fucking baby sea turtle returning to the ocean. Like they go right for the street and then you see these <laughs> dickheads. The yeah. The these road dickheads. is a place where things happen. In their lifted pickup trucks doing like 45 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour in front of your house. And you're like, there's no way you could stop in time. If my kid ran out in front of you, you would just kill him. Yeah, Frank. Yeah. Well, again, this is why there were, uh, turned down a turtle. Was this, was that the phrase? Yes. Turned into a turtle like this. This is, and we have the, the other thing that happened is I spent a lot of time. I still do spend quite a bit of time my kids outside walking to places because it's good to have your kids out getting exercised you know it's a thing that modern children are missing out on and you realize how little of the world is actually accessible by foot by work using your body as it's intended to be used like it's basically everywhere around you is a desert a dangerous desert full of right. giant yeah. concrete moats or asphalt moats yeah because one of the things that happened, we've talked about rural decay. With rural decay, you get like the dollar store that comes to town, Dollar General or what have you, and they don't put that inside like the rural town. They put it on the outskirts somewhere, and none of that is accessible by foot. Even if it's close to town, there's not going to be a sidewalk that takes you there. Oh, yeah, the 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 my parents live uh, just north of them is a beautiful little town. Obviously, I'm not going to give the name, but it's a, a gorgeous little town that has sort of a lake next to it. I love it. I love going there. But the Dollar General is not connected by the sidewalks because the Dollar General not. is like two minutes beyond town mm-hmm. on the other side of several roads. You can yeah, only drive. It, you can only drive to the Dollar General. So downtown is 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 has several empty shops. The only thing that exists are hair salons in a pizza place, <laughs> you know, the quick lube, some stuff like that. And right. then the one, the one sort of new, new economic unit has been placed outside of town and you have to drive to it. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're out with your kids, you want to go get some drink, get snacks, something like that. And uh, so often if you're in these kind of areas, you can get within a stone's throw of whatever stupid dollar general exists, but then you're going to have to get across like a busy highway from there. Oh yeah. Because of the way that they locate these things, which it's like, well, could we maybe do a little zoning here? <laughs> well, so th- this is actually one of the, uh, you know, the angry motorist in the Walmart parking lot got my mind jogging, but w- I really started to care about this issue when I realized how it automobile dominated infrastructure results in human living spaces that aren't for humans and if you're not building society for people then you don't really have a society (laughs) right well that goes back to like suburban house with the uh the garage being as big as the fucking house itself like is is the structure for your cars or is it for you it's well it is at least as much for your car as it is for you right which is which is really saying something you're basically married to your car, which is funny. You can find, uh, I think maybe you had posted a, a study about this, about people's connection to their cars, like <laughs> how they would rather have an injury than have their car totaled, like break a bone or something. I I have heard this, yes. And people, I remember I sent you a study just a couple of days ago about how 60% of Americans will spend more time in their car in a year than they spend outdoors in a year. Yeah, that's good for society. That's what you want. That's that's a that's a good thing, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Thirty minutes in the car every day is is much. Yeah, because if if you think about it, like all of that time driving, it, that's just lost. It is actually just lost time. It's and it's time where you're not going to be interacting with other people. You don't have any kind of incidental contact with somebody where you have a conversation with them, find out what's going on in your community. It's just lost time, and it's not physically good for you because you're not using your body to go anywhere you're just sitting which is terrible for humans we're not built to sit around all day uh, especially not built to sit around inside of a uh, structure that keeps out all the sunshine i mean 
it's a it's a bad and inhuman way to live. It's an unnatural way to live. We're not built to get up in the morning, walk into the attached garage, get into a vehicle and sit on our ass, go to our desk job and sit on our ass and then come home. It's not yes, exactly. And, you know, I think this is sort of with 10 minutes left in the show. By now, people are screaming, well, what the hell is your alternative? Well, the alternative is the, what humanity had for, for really? in our legs for millions of years. People built villages you walked around for millions of years. Um, you know, the vast majority of American towns outside of places like Arizona and New Mexico, which were kind of in 100 percent built for the car. But in most of the rest of America and Canada, um, the core of towns still exist. Those dense road networks in the middle of a town still exist. You could have pedestrian-only parts of towns. You can turn neighborhoods into walking-only neighborhoods. You have to combine this with rail. You know, this is something most people don't know, and I always love to tell people. America still has the densest rail network in the world and the most trackage in the world. Almost every American town, and I don't mean a suburb, I mean a town, is connected by rail. It has a rail line very close to downtown. Many of them still have old stations or land that was zoned for the station. We just have to run trains on them mm-hmm. for I mean, people. I, I live in a perfect example of that uh, there's still existing places where there's spurs that come off into the town because the not so long ago, and you could you can just walk around town and see it. You had your industry was commingled with the town, with the housing, with the restaurants. They had bars here, uh, grocery stores. All of this stuff was commingled within walking distance. There is literally no reason why you cannot do that. In fact, the fucking places where these businesses were, were located, they still exist. The structure is there. It's oh, yeah. still in good shape. It's just empty. It's not like we're talking about a, a complete like overhaul of civilization here. It's it's literally just how about do some intelligent policy where you just put back what you had. Yeah, as a start, right? If if you if you put back if you put these things back together, then you begin then the sort of the natural healing process will start. I always think of the Netherlands. The Netherlands is a great example. They built like America sort of after the Second World War into the 1990s, they built like America. They rammed highways through their cities. They did all kinds of really ridiculous shit. But in the 1990s, they made a conscious decision not to do that. And now, whereas in America, like 96% of trips are made by car, in the Netherlands, it's under 70%. When, you know, you might drive to, you may drive to work, maybe. But you go to the grocery store on your bike. You take the kids to school on your bike. If you have to, if you're going to meet your wife across the city and it's too far for the bike, you jump on, you jump on the, the train or the light rail. Like the, <laughs> other civil, other countries are, are operating in a coherent way. They have third places. They have very, you know, public areas, even in small towns. And America destroyed those things and you can replace them with policy. Right. I think it's important to kind of underline that uh, this is not just a result of differing racial demographics from a place like this and a place that's in Europe, because what happened in the United States happened across the entire country, regardless of the racial demographics of particular regions. Yes, it was it was automobiles and suburbia. Again, you know, I've called it this in several episodes alluding to doing the show. It was it was a manufactured aspirational culture. I am not denying my grandparents grew up in in Hamtramck in the Polish part of Detroit. Detroit turned black. It had race riots. They left Hamtramck. I am not denying that that happened. They moved to a suburban town. However, Omaha was not black until like the until like 2005. Mm-hmm. But it had been undergoing massive suburban sprawl since the 1950s. Right. Right, because there was the great migration, and and people left in certain cities. But the pattern of suburbanization is universal across the United States. Yes, it it didn't require 
a great migration of blacks to make this happen and anywhere else right like precise right yeah where where i live for example uh you've got tons of suburban sprawl this area is like i don't know 95 96 percent white they're not doing the sprawl because they're trying to get away from blacks they're doing the sprawl because that's what we do in america yeah that that is the that is the mode of development it's just what policymakers and the corporations decide to do so there's my message would be that it's very nuanced I'm not denying the demographic transition forced white people out Philadelphia. Actually, Philadelphia is still pretty, but New York, Boston. I'm not trying to minimize that, but there is a sort of more holistic story to this. That we blanketed the entire country in this stuff. You can look because we wanted to make Standard Oil some money and GM some money. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's what that's just that's you can look at Fargo, North Dakota, which is even today, I still think is like an 80 percent white city or something. And Fargo, North Dakota has massive, huge, multi, you know, hundreds of acre uh, highway interchanges slammed all over the city. And those highway interchanges are surrounded by weird, twisty, curvy suburban roads with cookie cutter houses. People didn't do people in Fargo, North Dakota didn't move to that housing because of black people. They moved to that housing because there was this weird corporate manufactured aspirational culture that said, well, this is the dream. The dream yeah. is to is to abandon uh, your natural community and to move into a house surrounded by people you don't know and who you won't see because there's a fence around your backyard. And this was marketed like you can you can go back to the 1950s. You, you can see them specifically marketing the idea of having this kind of li- lifestyle. Oh, yeah. Well, it was that that it sort of is what everyone believes the American dream is. Yeah. And they, they look they, they look at you funny if you don't understand. I mean, one of the funniest things to me is if you were particularly where I live, if you walk, if you're out walking, there's like two things. People on foot, I think, are oftentimes seen as potentially being like low class, like you can't afford yeah. a car. And then yeah. the other thing, oh, their car must have broken down. I'd better offer them a ride. I cannot tell you how many times I've been out with my kids and had been offered rides. I'm like, no, we're out walking for a reason. I have a car. Yeah, that, ha- <laughs> that happened to me where I grew up. There was a Michigan is really neatly divided into townships and the townships roads circle you know go around most of the townships and they're like a, a mile a square mile on every side so i could walk a mile down the road and then i would walk four more miles around the township and walk home it was like a six mile walk it was really nice breezy i would do this all the time and people i would know would be driving down the road and say do you need a lift and it's like no i'm out on a walk right <laughs> I'm a human, homo sapien. Uh, my species, we we can ambulate, we can walk. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it was a really beautiful walk too. Obviously, I can't can't yeah. say where it was, but I, you know, where I grew up, there was a lot of state land, a lot of forest. So there were, you know, there's always forest or it was farm field. And I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a softy. I love looking out over a farm field and seeing the soybeans or the. <laughs> Or the the corn sort of wave in the breeze is very nice. I very I, I enjoy it. But everyone would drive by and I'm like, what the what's that guy doing? Right. <laughs> I'm on the walk. Yeah, is he up to no good? Is he uh, is he gonna plant a bomb on the roadside? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. That's totally the <laughs> <Some> plan. <terrorists. laughs> but yeah, because because to them, it, like they they, they the, their lifestyle is so unnatural, they don't understand it. They just they yeah, they they yeah. lack like the apparatus necessary to to grasp why you would want to be outside just walking or doing any activity outside of a car and i'm not even saying and i want to be very clear i am not saying that people are sort of like stupid or dumb or evil for not understanding they have been totally socialized for essentially it will be 80 years very soon they have been totally socialized for about 80 years 70 years that you know, living is this particular car oriented existence. Yeah. Multiple generations now have accepted this idea that the car is a necessity to go anywhere. You need a car. And there's this very weird. 
it's very weird or natural too that the idea is if you're going to do a human activity like walk hike exercise you get in your car you, you drive, drive to a location a specific venue for this and then you do it that's insane that is that is actually pretty nuts isn't that's it? fucking nuts it's like how about you just i don't know open your front door and walk <laughs> that is actually pretty wild and then and then they look at you kind of weird if you're not in the in the venue doing it like what, what are you walking on the road for we have a trail yeah. system you could drive to the trail and you go <laughs> Yo, if you only have five five minutes in the car, buddy, there's a park. Like, yeah, right. No, I, dude, like I, I've I, had people losing their shit. I'll be on the way to the local park, which is about a mile and a half from my house, and I'll be driving, riding my bike, pulling my kids in a trailer. People losing their shit, and I'm like, do you not see the park right around the corner there? Do you not understand what I'm doing here? I'm taking my kids to the park. You are a 67 year old boomer driving to your little suburban house that's maybe five miles past the park you're not at, you're not going to any place in particular like any kind of hurry at least you shouldn't be i mean i'm I'm doing the bit here i'm doing i'm doing the bit where you take your kids to the park the fuck <laughs> yeah and it, it's just the most remarkable thing and i and i hope that what people took away from the episode is that you you should question and a lot of people are uh, urban planning YouTube and sort of you know walkable city YouTube it's huge and because- people yeah it's it's not even controversial to say that structuring an urban sprawl where you've got the, like the multiple lane strode with like the turn lane in the middle and then you've got acres and acres of parking lots this is bad from a perspective, perspective. Of, of of just policy making and and taxation and all of that because it fucks up your whole tax base whenever you spread all those businesses out. Yeah, exactly. And it's very fascinating to see people begin to challenge us. And I think it's because, and this also goes hand in hand with sort of like the tranny stuff, that we totally deconstructed normal human society. And we've had a couple generations where we've sort of lived in this really weird way. And now the youngest people, especially people under 30, are looking around and going, this is not working. This is is demonstrably not working. What are we doing wrong? And I think that is why sort of, you know, urban planning YouTube is so big. Because, and it's it's also an economics thing. You know, people, I'm 24, people my age, most of us have no hope in the current environment of ever owning a new car. I I would... Funny how that works having a walkable neighborhood with a train connection and a, you know, in a, in a light rail, that is like, that is ideal because there ain't no way in fuck I'm ever going to own a new car. And then what about a house? I mean, Oh God, don't even get me started. Weird. We've taken, we've taken the idea of having your own house and then having your own form of transportation and just raise that out of the reach of basically everybody except for the will to do are people that are successfully integrated into like this sort of uh, technological techno-industrial society. People that are right. Either, either the boomers who made their money before neoliberalism or at the start of neoliberalism or, or the super rich. So, and sort of this single family home sprawl car dependent society can't exist without a massive level of prosperity to afford these things. Mm-hmm. And now that that prosperity is essentially gone, America, people also need to start accepting that America is not a prosperous nation anymore. And it hasn't been for a while. And now that that prosperity is gone, <laughs> people just can't afford no, to but, but live. They, yeah. They've been having a state sale with America for a long time now. Just yeah. selling the fucking silverware. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And people just can't afford to make it. So, you know, we're three minutes over, so we're going right, to, we're done. We're, we're going to wrap up the show, but I, I hope, Fuck. I hope everyone took, uh, took away from the, from the show that you should begin questioning your built environment and sort of the way you live because you it's should, not normal. And corporations did it to you, by the way. Capitalism yeah. Yeah. yeah just, just go outside out of your living space and just look around as you, as you stand there on foot and be like, how could I get to places I need to go? Oh, wow. This doesn't make any damn sense. 
yes, tr- try walking to your grocery store, but you can't do it that safely. All right, everyone. And uh, thank you, Alex. And we'll see you all next time.